Across distance. This is episode five. Allow vibration, dwell, work with it. My name is Masi Asari. I aim for three parts to this podcast a conversation with a scholar on voices in our time of COVID 19, a reading from a theoretical text on voice, and a vocal exercise from a practitioner. But for this episode especially, all of these categories blend and overlap. I'll begin with an excerpt of the essay On Sonic Meditation by composer Pauline Oliveros, which also includes some practical guidance for making voice. Then I'll be in conversation with musicologist Ryan Dehoney, discussing present singing and listening practice as much as scholarship. To close, I'm joined by virtuosic contemporary music singer Joan LaBarbera, who shares an exercise and theorizes her own vocal practice. I also want to give credits now for two clips of interstitial music featured on this episode. First, the electronics piece, Remember Aaron Schwartz, by André O. Müller, with the voices of the composer and Ryan Dehoney. And second, a clip of Twelve Song, composed and performed by Joan LaBarbera. Theory. It's late in the evening, and I'm working in my kitchen to the hum of the refrigerator and the gentle rush of traffic on my street. At times, the sound of water running through pipes deep in the walls between apartments, occasional chatter in the outside hallway. I am working by low, soft light that comes primarily from a candle and the dim lamp over the sink. Low light is one of the conditions recommended by the luminous composer whose words I want to read today, the late Pauline Oliveros. She recommended low light for the practice of meditation in general, and in particular for engaging with many in her set of compositions entitled Sonic Meditations. Her work and her aesthetics of deep listening and sonic awareness, terms she coined and invoked in very specific ways, invite musicians as listeners to expand the zone of focused attention to include a broader awareness of and engagement with the sounds that come from one's surroundings. In this approach, the performance space where sound or music happens is as important as the instrument or voice itself. The space where the sound happens is in fact a participant in the act of creating sound. One of her most famous pieces from her collection of sonic meditations, a work entitled Teach Yourself to Fly, is intended specifically for voices. The score for the piece is text-based, a set of prose directives, and includes the possibility of using instruments other than voice as a final afterthought, almost like a variation for a culinary recipe. If you don't have coconut oil, you could use butter. So I'm going to read today an excerpt from an article by Oliveros entitled On Sonic Meditation, where she talks about the impetus for this work engaging meditative practice and gives further detail into each carefully considered directive within Teach Yourself to Fly, so that it's kind of like an annotated score of the piece. I won't read the full score for this very famous experimental composition here, but you can look it up yourself and I encourage you to do so. 
But there are three lines, three sentences from the directives for Teach Yourself to Fly that appear in this passage I'm about to read, a section that is specifically about bringing the voice into space following an engagement with the breath and breathing. Just so you'll recognize them when I hit them, the three quoted sentences are, Then gradually introduce your voice. Allow your vocal cords to vibrate in any mode that occurs naturally. And allow the intensity of the vibrations to increase very slowly. So here's the passage. Then gradually introduce your voice. What is the sound of my own voice? What would it sound like if I had not adopted the way it sounds now? What models am I using? What is the sound of my original voice? Allow your vocal cords to vibrate in any mode that occurs naturally. Again, the word allow, meaning no conscious manipulation of the vocal cords in order to produce a particular sound. No sound is more desirable than another. All are accepted. Simply be aware of the sounds that emerge while the attention remains focused on the breath cycle. Allow the intensity of the vibrations to increase very slowly. The voice enters more and more fully with the increase in intensity, still without conscious manipulation. Vibration of the vocal cords should be occurring before one becomes aware that they are vibrating. Imposing a conscious direction toward a specific sound or pitch causes a lapse in attention. Slowness is relative. It might take any length of time, depending on the experience of the meditator. Actual time periods seem to increase in length with practice, but time perception in terms of clock time appears to be inverse. Longer and longer time periods seem shorter and shorter as attention improves. I'm thrilled to welcome my guest scholar for this episode, Ryan Dehoney. Ryan Dehoney is a musicologist and historian who writes on modernism and experimentalism in the 20th and 21st centuries. He serves as associate professor of musicology in the Beenin School of Music at Northwestern University, where he is affiliate faculty in critical theory, gender and sexuality studies, and the Black Arts Initiative. His book, Saving Abstraction, Morton Feldman, The Demineals, and the Rothko Chapel, was published last fall by Oxford University Press. His articles on the vocal philosophy of Adriana Cavarero can be found in the journal Women and Music. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here, Masi. On this gray and cloudy Chicago yes, day. Yes, <laughs> another unrelenting gray and cloudy day in Chicago. It's been a few in a row. (laughs) I will say it's kind of amazing that we're doing this and I I just I'm so delighted because we are colleagues at Northwestern but I've actually never met you in person. Yes we've just had a few enthusiastic emails. (laughs) Enthusiastic email exchange correct Um, but I'm just so delighted that um, you have the time I guess to to chat with me a little bit for this podcast and you're currently teaching right now I understand you know our Northwestern year extends into June. Yes, I am. I'm teaching a course called Music in the Present, which is Uh um, a required 
course for our music major undergraduates. It's a big class, right? You mentioned to me. It is a big class, yeah. So I've got about 100 students right now. Wow. And and I haven't met a single one, (laughs) except for the few that I've had in class before. But it's it's definitely a first... A first for me as a teacher to have yeah. an entirely online situation. Yeah. Sure. I think for so many people. Can I ask you to say a little bit about what your class is about? I, I know you told me before, but I didn't remember it all. And I'm oh. just <laughs> looking at this title, Music in the Present, and it feels so of the moment. We are so in the present. So I'm just curious what that kind of means. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, we've for a long time at schools of music, the music history curriculum or the musicology curriculum has looked like a sort of march through Western music that begins, say, Mm -hmm. in the Middle Ages and goes up into maybe like Steve Reich, you know, in the 1990s or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think my colleagues and I last year decided we really wanted to make some changes and update the curriculum for you know, students living in mm-hmm. the 21st century. <laughs> right. And so what right. we did was sort of completely redesign the curriculum into a course that kind of deals with the sort of Western art music tradition in one mm-hmm. quarter, a second class mm-hmm. that looks at performers as agents in music history mm-hmm. and beyond music history across the world, takes a kind of global perspective to performers mm-hmm. and performance. And my class, uh, Music in the Present, um, was really kind of to be something really responsive, I think, to the moment. Uh, largely, I wanted to make students aware of the impact of digitization and technology, mm-hmm. to understand economics and music circulation. And all these things have kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, completely come to the fore in, right. in this class. So. Um, you know, we started off by thinking about just listening practices mm-hmm. and streaming media and how students are accessing media, largely mm-hmm. through Spotify and YouTube and other yep. things. Right now, we're in uh, a unit that looks at music's political economy and political ecology. So looking uh-huh. at ways in which uh, the recording industry and musical practices have effects on the environment. This sounds also- so cool. This sounds like such a great <laughs> class. It's been really, I mean, it's, I mean, it really is working, working pretty well. And the student, wow. I'm getting really terrific feedback from the students. So. And this is the first time it's being taught. Yes. It's the wow. first time. It's being oh, taught. and and how. Yeah. <laughs> and in this way. Yeah. And I've really thematized the, the lockdown and the pandemic and, it's really mm-hmm. made students aware of just what how precarious the musical economy is, especially mm, for performing absolutely. musicians, you know. So, yeah. so it's yeah. it's been, I think, uh, sort of timely, a, if not timely and, and dark a little. But yeah. um, I think the students are getting a lot out of it. At least well, they, really, they tell me they are. So. Of course, I'm sure they are. I really admire that you are uh, teaching asynchronously, which there's been a lot of talk about. Um, in academia to make sure that students who might not all be able to tune in at the same time, even if something might have been taught as a lecture class, but you, it sounds like you've kind of built it so that students can complete these assignments and uh, sort of gain the information they need on their own schedule, right? Yeah, I think for me that was really, I mean, it was really important for me that the first thing I gave up was the idea that all of us listening to me talk was the most important thing the class could do. (laughs) (laughs) And so I switched it around to really think about these questions about what do I want the students to do? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do I want them to be thinking? How do I want them to be engaged? 
And so I designed the course around certain kinds of activities and writing assignments and discussion mm -hmm. boards with some additional sort of recorded lectures for me and media sort of wikis mm -hmm. and things that allow them to go deeper. Mm -hmm. um, so Great. It's, it's, you know, it's a mixed bag, but I think I, I felt from an ethical position that I couldn't in good conscience demand a synchronous uh -huh. class yeah. for yeah. 100 Everybody students. Everybody has such different <laughs> circumstances, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really respect that. And I have to say, I was really struck when we spoke last week. We had a little brief conversation. You mentioned that you've been reflecting on your experience of your own voice in a way that it, you might not have experienced it without sort of the circumstances of this pandemic, but specifically as it arises in the process of recording lectures for this class. So I wanted to ask you as we kind of jump in, what has this experience been like of spending so much time with your own lecturing voice? And what are you noticing about it that feels new or specific to right now? I think what's so interesting about it is that I, um, I, I am a fairly sort of energetic and uh, natural teacher in some ways. I'm, I, I tend mm -hmm. to be very comfortable in the classroom, but what mm -hmm. this is making me realize is that um, my comfort level teaching, let's say, yeah. uh, lecturing that is, um, is completely contingent upon there being people in front of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's such a different uh, experience otherwise. Yeah. yeah, and I think the... The experience of kind of talking into a void of, or even like for the first time kind of having to imagine, mm -hmm. you know, an audience, um, you know, an audience of a hundred, a few of whom I know, but the vast right. majority that I've never met before. So, But you have to kind of imagine the vocal responses as well as the sort of physical responses mm -hmm. of your students. So have you heard any of their voices to, to date? Yeah, this was something, I mean, this is something that is really bothering me, yeah. <laughs> as is that I am getting to know my students' voices through their writing, which is okay. terrific. You know, I'm actually, this has been actually one of the real joys of the class. Mm -hmm. But more recently, I've um, made an assignment where they have to do a sonic meditation by Pauline Oliveros. Yeah. And it's a really great little piece called Environmental Dialogue that I uh -huh. use a lot to teach, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... It requires Her work students. is so amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's... The do you, actually, do you want to say a little bit about it? Sure, doesn't yeah, know. no, I mean, Paula Novaris, she recently passed in mm -hmm. the last few years, but she was a foundational composer, improviser, accordionist, mm -hmm. philosopher about music, um, who was really essential in the foundation of early electronic music and tape mm -hmm. music, working at the San Francisco uh, Tape Center with people like Morton Sabotnik and mm -hmm. Steve Reich and others. And uh, in the 1970s, she started to develop a practice with a group of uh, women um, called Sonic Meditation, mm -hmm. in which they would come together and, you know, Oliveros would offer simple verbal instructions, uh, you know, pieces titled like Teach Yourself to Fly, you know. Yeah. They would often begin by just observing their breath and then following some simple guided instructions to produce a kind of sonic meditation. And yeah. so the one I've been using for years now is called environmental dialogue. Mm -hmm. And it asks students to listen to their environment mm -hmm. and then, you know, pick out various sounds and then to reinforce them. She mm -hmm. uses this really interesting verb, reinforce, either yeah. mentally or vocally or with their instrument. It's so interesting because that makes me think of kind of like like an architectural movement. And I was just talking oh, yeah. to Shauna Redmond last week oh, about yeah, yeah. Paul Robeson and his voice in the mm -hmm. built environment. Anyway, but yeah, so, so reinforcing. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
and and I think and so I had the, this was the basis for their discussion uh, responses to one another, mm-hmm. and I invited them. I didn't require it, but I invited them to record themselves doing it. And so this yeah. was the first time, just in the la- just yesterday, really, when I was greeting these, that I was like, just hearing a little bit of like humming, or a little oh, bit of vocalizations wow. from a few of the students, and it was really just, it was it was very grounding in a way to sort of feel like. You know, yeah, <laughs> like we're yeah. somewhat in this together. So that actually inspired me to work to basically require them to do another performance. For yes, <laughs> I support I support vocal practice. So, Speaking of which, yeah. I know that you, yeah. in addition to your brilliant musicology work, that you're also trained as a classical vocalist, and that you have your own singing practice. And you mentioned to me when we spoke last week, in fact, when we corresponded a little bit earlier, that you've been turning more to your own singing practice right now, perhaps more so than usual, sort of in this chapter of socially distanced life. So can you say a little bit about your ongoing practice as a singer and what it is that you're noticing now about turning to that singing practice? Yeah, sure. I think for me, I mean, singing is something that, you know, I I started essentially just slightly before training and singing is something I started just before I started my musicology training. I've maintained, uh, you know, an occasional performing practice working with mostly new composers and new music and experimental music. Right, Um, right, right. And that's taken on a, a, a bit of a more sort of I guess, frequent uh, practice in the last Mm -hmm. few years as I've started some new research. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, with lockdown happening, you know, I'm I'm again sort of like, you know, well, maybe not again, this is the first time I'm admitting this, like I'm monstrously, (laughs) monstrously privileged in that I have no children to take care of and that Mm. my husband has remained employed and Mm -hmm. like, you know, so Mm -hmm. I, I am fortunate and privileged and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, and I have... My my physical practices otherwise are swimming and yoga, and mm-hmm. basically those are my house is not set up great for yoga, so I can't really do it. And and how about pool, for swimming? And the pool is closed. <laughs> so, um, okay. And so I was I was trying to find ways to stay physically active and start. I was like, oh, new hobbies! I'll start running. And quickly as I start running, I realize that I am my I am like over forty, and my body is breaking down. And so I immediately start pulling muscles, and I'm yeah. like, I can't actually do these things and so I was like what is a way to be like physically active and feel like I'm in my body and so I was like well I just want to come back to come back to singing and like Uh really make it into you know not just learning pieces which is something I do a lot I just like learn music and Mm -hmm. and try to think about song but you know I'm really just sort of going back to absolute basics and being just like what is it to make tone like Mm -hmm. what is it how can I play with tone like what can my voice do just I'm just really mm. making just like really basic inquiries into my instrument wow and, um, that sounds amazing and it sounds like you've come to this as an and the impulse for I me mean, part of the impulse for this was to have an embodied practice yeah i mean uh-huh. really just to kind of feel i mean to feel anything right other than yeah. like misery and boredom anxiety, <laughs> and anxiety <laughs> totally you know? no i hear you um, so mm-hmm. really, you know, I have, you know, I have a, a, a fairly you know, ongoing meditation practice as well that is sort of does similar things for me, but it doesn't quite do what the kind of, you know, the forceful 
assertion of presence that I think yeah. a singing practice does. I mean, forcefully asserting myself to my downstairs neighbors also, which is unfortunate, <laughs> but, um, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, a, little, a little sound bath for them. Yeah, yeah, a little. I mean, really, I'm, like, practicing overtone singing and, like, doing this crazy wow. stuff. But anyway, just trying to get things working in weird ways. Yeah, but, and really playing with resonance, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. But the other part of it, too, is really... I mean, the part about learning music, I mean, for me, is really connecting with friends. I'm, I'm learning a lot of music by friends, mm-hmm. um, by composer friends of mine that I was planning on seeing this summer in Germany, and mm-hmm. now that is completely canceled. So I'm yeah. trying to figure out ways to, to be connected to my to my friends and my colleagues. I wanted to ask you about that. I know you have this project with this wonderful group, Vondelweiser, if I'm saying that. Yes, that right? is that's exactly which, right. <laughs> which um, does meet, I think, you said from time to time in Dusseldorf. Uh-huh. But um, but is not meeting right now, of course. Uh, or they they might be meeting. They but might I, be meeting. I'm I'm unlikely to be able to get I there see. given the travel restrictions. Right. So. so most of the community is in Germany. It's fairly widely diverse. There are people uh-huh. in Berlin. There are people in Düsseldorf and Cologne. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of people in London, also in Switzerland. So it's okay. Fairly uh, people in LA and New York, and so it's fairly widely distributed. Uh-huh. But one of the main gatherings happens in Dusseldorf every okay. summer, organized by Antoine Boyger. The group is hard; is really never together all at the same time. Right. So it's uh, it's fairly widely distributed, and um, and the collaborations, at least Antoine uses the uses Klangraum to really stage kind of collaborations uh-huh. between people. So. Uh-huh. Uh, one I was really looking forward to is between uh, my dear friends Mariana Schuppe and Emmanuel Vickerly. They were, still are, I think, planning on <laughs> on debuting their new collaboration, which they've been yeah. working on quite a bit. Um, so there are these occasional collaborations that happened. And mm-hmm. Otherwise, people will be invited to present work. But the nature of the work is so open and so collaborative that once we arrive, like everyone is part of it. So everyone becomes involved. That sounds so amazing. Performer. It has it has its has its charms for sure. Yeah, and the music that you sent me to listen to was really beautiful and really meditative. Mm-hmm. And if that was helpful because when I asked you, well, what kind of music are you singing? Just I was trying to kind of imagine what your singing practice was like and and you said that it's oftentimes the music that you're singing is really soft and quiet, prayerful and meditative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. is that is that continue to be what you're singing now? Yeah, I mean in addition to these to this music of Vandalweiser, I've been doing um a couple pieces, late pieces by John Cage, mm-hmm. um, that are also very, um, very simple, melodically, very spacious, full of silence, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mostly where I'm at. <laughs> I yeah, think right yeah, now. yeah. It's just no, staying absolutely. in that mode. And I, it really struck me when we spoke last, and you said that um, this the return to singing that you've been doing now has been really allowing you to sit with things. And I yeah. just, that, that phrase struck me because there's so much for us to sit with now. And, uh, and we have, some of us have the time, but also just the things that we have to grapple with are so big that we need to give them full attention, right? Yeah. Big swaths yeah. of time. Yeah, and so this is, I mean, this is mostly what the music asks of me is to like sit with, sit with silence, of course, but also sit with, whatever sound I'm making, you know, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fairly hard on myself, you know, and, and judgmental of myself mm-hmm. as a singer. And so it's really just 
letting me be like, okay, here's the tone I'm making now. Like, here's the sound I can produce at mm -hmm. this moment. And like, you know, mm -hmm. what that's, mm -hmm. I have to be okay with that. I ha And like, you know, I have to be okay to some extent. Or I don't have to yeah. be okay, right? I have to be able to endure, you know, <laughs> this, to be this with it. present yeah. moment. Be with the sound. Um, so. Yeah, you know, it makes me think of, I had a conversation with, um, Robert Sisuma, who was my guest vocal practitioner in the last episode. Mm, yeah. And Robert teaches all over the world, mainly in Europe. He's in Croatia at the moment. I said, well, you teach us a vocal exercise. And he had a very strong reaction to that word. He's trained as a Feldenkrais practitioner. Mm -hmm. And he said, the word exercise can have such a connotation of prescription that mm -hmm. you sort of you sort of expect a certain outcome and that he prefers to think about the work as either a lesson, which is the Feldenkrais term, or just a vocal experiment or experience. And it made a big impact on me. Uh, and it just kind of reminds me of what you're saying now, this just yeah. being willing to be with whatever it is that's going to happen in yeah. your voice right now. Yeah, which is not not much. <laughs> but it's but, something. And it yeah. lives in sound and it lives in, in the body, yeah. in and around the body. And very cool. As I was getting to know more about your past scholarly work, I know that you have been doing a lot of thinking over time with thinking about how artistic practice intersects with religious feeling, mm. um, as well as collectivity and friendship as these kind of material practices for music making. And do you think that that comes into play with how you're thinking about your singing practice now? Oh, it's, well, I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, yeah. that in many ways, this is, you know, I don't mind the, the term exercise because I like to think about it in terms of spiritual exercises, you know, mm. this sort of, it's a, I mean, it's a Catholic, idea from mm. the Jesuits but you know there's still this sense of working on oneself or even you know it gets developed in the work of Michel Foucault quite beautifully who's thinking about it and in, in sort of ways of of developing oneself and, be, and even just becoming oneself that we mm -hmm. go through these kinds of spiritual exercises mm -hmm. um, and for me that really is like this earlier work on Morton Feldman and the Damaniels and the Rothko Chapel was really about looking at how certain kinds of experimental practices that don't at all seem religious become mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and that and so, and what's interesting about Vondelweiser is there's that kind of connection between experimentalism and a kind of spiritual openness and mm -hmm. even some some kind of clear ties to spirituality in the case of people like Eva Maria Hoban and Antoine mm -hmm. Boyger both sort of overtly will write religious music to mm -hmm. religious texts and so for me, there is that that powerful connection. You know, I'm I'm sort of of ambiguous religious orientation at the moment, mm -hmm. um, but but for me, sure, it's sure. it's um, you know, Vondelweiser gives me something very powerful that that I think um, yeah, Fel the music of Morton Feldman gives me as well. So there's that kind of That's through line. Yeah. No, I'm happy to have learned more about the group and about <clears throat> these composers that you're working with, and I feel like. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I'm sort of my my ears are pricked up <laughs> to think mm. about. I, I it's a kind of dwelling, you know, yeah. dwelling in sound. Oh yeah, um, that's like Antoine's favorite word. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So, in thinking, I guess about my own listening to some of the music that you sent me, I would love to ask you about your own listening practices. Right now, are there particular things that you're finding it especially meaningful to listen to? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, this actually connects back up to my singing practices that, mm -hmm. um, I mean, really important to me recently has been the music of Joan LaBarbera, which yeah. is, you know, for those who don't know her, 
she is a composer and a vocalist yeah. and improviser really sort of one of the foundational figures of yeah. experimental vocal technique. Really pathbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we all, you know, she adapted something like early on was interested in sort of exp- exploring her voice like an instrument. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, things we've heard like Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald do kind of think about the instrumental quality of their vo- voices in mm-hmm. an ensemble. Mm-hmm. And she was doing that really beautifully with Steve Reich and Philip Glass. And then she sort of went on to really kind of like what I'm basically trying to do right now, except she did it. 40 years ago and better when she's like really <laughs> treating her voice you know as this experimental material yeah. and just really approached it with this kind of phenomenological rigor where she's yeah. you know learning to sing multiphonics and overtones yeah. and getting and these then, just kind of colors and textures yeah, that we don't yeah. you always hear or yeah. that we don't always expect that are yeah. kind of just stunning in their surprise in a way and, and yeah. require profound <laughs> technique extended <laughs> techniques yes. yeah yeah uh-huh. And so, I mean, as I was kind of leaning back into my vocal practice, I remembered that I had sort of seen her do a masterclass online. And so I was watching her, um, you know, give this masterclass on how to warm up and how to practice. And then yeah. I sort of went and got her got her basic vocal warm up off her website mm-hmm. and really started just like working with her her techniques and just thinking about about her as a singer and someone who's been you know, so foundational in my thinking and my education in new music. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, have long had a had a infatuation with her music and been really interested in its kind of unrelenting strangeness. And I mean okay. that in the high as like the highest compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's music I mean that's kind of my my favorite music is music that doesn't ever that stop is being unrelentingly strange. <laughs> or, you know, retains its mystery, right? And I yeah, feel that yeah, La Barbara's yeah. music La Barbara's music absolutely maintains its strangeness. So that the sort of getting her vocal warm-ups and then sort of led me down this path into really diving, you know, headlong into her music. And, I've, you know, yeah. at this point, I have, like, acquired all of her LPs, like, from wow. various retailers. I've, like, gotten, like, you know, all her CDs. I've, you know, I'm, I've, I've really just kind of gone off the That's amazing. Well, and I want to say thank you, too, for introducing me to her. Yeah, I mean, she was really, I mean, she appears in the beginning and the end of my book. Um, yeah. She has an, a wonderful piece called Rothko that she performed in the Rothko Chapel. So she's oh, wow. kind of on the periphery of my last book. Um, uh-huh. But we had a bit of a correspondence because she was really gracious to let me quote at length from a letter that oh, really cool. kicks off kicks off my book in a really powerful way that gets the motor uh-huh. of the argument going. And so I'm super grateful to her for that. So cool. Can I go back to this unrelentingly strange? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I can you tell me more about what it is about her music? I know you have a kind of a long time practice of listening to her and collecting her work. It sounds like, um, but what is it about right now? Do you think that makes you turn to her voice and her kind of compendium of vocal sounds as yeah. opposed to maybe some others? I think. I mean, what I've sort of taken a really strong interest is this whole genre of works that she has called sound paintings Mm -hmm. and um, she started doing them in the late 1970s and she would go to these uh, you know electronic music studios and tape tape studios often in Germany Mm -hmm. and do these kinds of amazing recording processes where she would just lay down like multi-track tape after multi-track tape of her voice like doing something you know doing some extended technique for you know 12 minutes 12 seconds which is the basis of this piece 12 song 
uh, and then layering mm -hmm. that, you know, 12 tracks of her voice doing all these different things. So this is music in which very little in the sense of like conventional development or like yeah. melodic unfolding or mm -hmm. conventional f form like verse chorus verse kind of form happens like mm -hmm. none of that happens like this is music that actually goes nowhere and mm -hmm. just lets you again back to my point about sort of dwelling or remaining with sound really just yeah. puts you into this environment mm -hmm. and lets you just like sit with it mm -hmm. and so for me i mean the parallels i think with our present moment are perhaps fairly obvious and like we yeah. aren't really going anywhere we are having to remain in place and this is music uh -huh. that i think just is letting me sit with it is not making me go anywhere is giving me just intense interest and beauty mm -hmm. and novelty while also kind of just like wrapping me in sound and just letting me <laughs> like hang yeah. out so i mean that's i, I don't know there's a, no, I have a lot of feelings about it but it's you know. beautiful i'm it makes me want to go listen to your music and and sing softly along but um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much ryan for joining me for making the time to talk about all these things it's been such a pleasure oh, to speak with you. you no it's been great it's it's nice to be it's a real honor to be among such great guests like Shana and Nina. Oh, and you, so. yeah. Well, and you. So thank you for sharing your, your thoughts on voice and voicing in this time. Thanks so much. My pleasure. delighted to welcome Joan LaBarbera, who is joining me vocally as our guest vocal practitioner for this episode. Joan LaBarbera, composer, performer, sound artist, and actor, is renowned for developing a unique vocabulary of experimental and extended vocal techniques, multiphonics, circular singing, ululation, and glottal clicks, her signature sounds, influencing generations of other composers and singers. Her numerous commissions for multiple voices, chamber ensembles, orchestra, interactive technology, sound scores for dance, video, and film include the choral work A Murmuration for Chibok in 2016, honoring the 300 Nigerian schoolgirls kidnapped missing since 2014, commissioned by Young People's Chorus of New York City, and a score for voice and electronics for Sesame Street broadcast worldwide since 1977. Her multi-layered textural compositions have been presented around the world at leading international venues. She has premiered landmark compositions composed for her, including works by Morton Sabotnik, Robert Ashley, Philip Glass and Robert Wilson, Morton Feldman, Steve Reich, John Cage, and Alvin Lussier. Internationally acclaimed recordings of her music include her seminal works from 1970s Voice is the Original Instrument, as well as Sound Paintings, Shaman Song, and Mode Records 2017 Blu-ray Surround Sound and CD release, The Early Immersive Music of Joan LaBarbera. She co-composed with Johan Johansson several cues for the film score for Arrival and created the character voice for the alien newborn in the film Alien Resurrection. Artistic director of Carnegie Hall's multi-year series When Morty Met John and co-founder of Performing Composers Collective Next Works, she is on the faculties of New York University and the New School. 
La Barbara is composing a new opera with award-winning Vietnamese-American novelist Monique Trung, Dreams of Water Beyond One's Depth, inspired by the lives and work of Virginia Woolf and Joseph Cornell, and most recently, her Ears of an Eagle, Eyes of a Hawk in the Vortex, was commissioned by the New York Philharmonic's Project 19 and premiered on February 10th, 2020 at Lincoln Center. I'll let her take it away. Hello, my name is Joan LaBarbera, um, and I'm a composer and vocalist and actor, and um, do a lot of work with what's referred to as extended vocal techniques. Um, although they're only extended when you consider Western classical music as the basis for that um, judgment, <laughs> because there are many, many mm -hmm. uh, kinds of vocal techniques all over the world, which um, are really fascinating and have a lot to do with uh, the different cultures and with language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so honored to have you joining me. Thank you so much. You are an icon um, and a real pathbreaker um, as a vocalist and as a composer and as an experimenter with the voice. I, I came across somewhere that you prefer the term um, experimental singer to avant-garde. Is that, did I understand that correctly? I think that, that at this point, the term avant-garde, like so many terms, um, has has moved into um, the realm of popular culture. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have avant-garde um, contemporary music. In fact, even the term contemporary music now no longer means contemporary classical music. It means mm -hmm. music in in our time, and and so many of the different terms that we use. Um, I mean, even the term experimental is, mm -hmm. is also used um, in, in popular culture music. So um, when, when I made that statement that I, I consider myself an experimental vocalist and I, I think of my life as an experiment, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was very much uh, a kind of um, like a statement of purpose and a statement of um, like a manifesto in a way uh, mm -hmm. where I, I really felt as if I was exploring the vocal instrument and really thinking of the voice as an instrument, not mm -hmm. like voice is one thing and instruments are something else. The voice is an instrument. Right. Um, and most of um, the instrumental people that I know of uh, and teachers uh, often say to their students you need to sing with your mm -hmm. instrument meaning that there is something about the voice that we relate to in in a, a very visceral way um mm -hmm. you almost cannot help but relate to the voice differently um, and so when teachers say to their students you know you have to sing with your instrument they're trying to get them to emulate this um very primal feeling that mm -hmm. we have with the voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that's so that's that's so thought provoking. I'm going to sit with that for a little bit. Yep, I I don't. I spent a long time since I took instrumental <laughs> lessons, <laughs> but I, I did play the trombone for for you know a decade back there. But it's I can imagine that that is said a lot, and certainly in in um, in jazz music, there's a lot of understanding that you know you want your horn to sound like a voice and vice versa, but. So um, cool. I, I'm sort of like all over the place today. I'm, I'm like I'm like beside myself with my nerves. But um, <laughs> is there anything that you want to share with us about how you've been experiencing your own vocal practice in this time? Um, does it feel consistent with pre-pandemic 
moments or is there something that you're feeling or that you're drawn to explore vocally that's different right now? I'm just curious. Um, I, I was actually very fortunate to be, uh, to have been invited by a vocalist composer Kamala Shankaram uh, to participate in a Zoom opera, mm -hmm. um, which took into account uh, the various uh, idiosyncrasies of Zoom, you know, the potential latency, uh, mm -hmm. putting in and out, um, existing in this little box, yeah, uh, and and still uh, wanting to relate to other singers. So when she invited me, I said, absolutely, I'm in. And mm -hmm. uh, so she wrote uh, this opera for six singers. Um, she sent the music around. It, it was sort of modular. So taking into account, um, you know, as I said, some of the, the idiosyncrasies of. Mm -hmm. So structurally, she conceived it for. She Brazil. conceived mm -hmm. it for, for very specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, so each of the singers worked on our parts individually. We came together for, I think it was uh, three two hour rehearsals. And then we did three live performances. Wow. And so um, I'm going to send you after the podcast uh, a photo I took of my setup. Yes. <laughs> I was sitting at my piano and I had the score all around me. And Okay. Surround score. Yes. Yeah. So um, that was that was one thing. I mean, that that certainly you recreate your personal space according to what it is you're going to be doing mm -hmm. and again last night with with the zoom um uh cast that we did for the new school yes and i should have mentioned uh, as by way of introduction that i was able to hear a wonderful recent performance uh, of you and gelsey bell at manis school of music at the new school yeah 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 and so for that you also had to do a special setup or well yeah i mean on on the zoom opera i just used um the apple you know headphones and the little mic because it worked fine Mm -hmm. In in the case of of actually uh, doing more of my specific uh, extended techniques, I wanted to be able to use my mic, so I did a whole setup with a preamp and a you know a, all all kinds of devices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to make sure that that I would get the best vocal quality that I could. So uh, Gelsey and I each set up our own spaces very very differently mm -hmm. um and um so those were two very different zoom experiences that mm -hmm. I, that had to do with performance um but yeah. also um what i find uh is this kind of sense of personal connection with like right now my, i'm speaking directly to you mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not so concerned about uh, where the podcast is going to go. I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. um, when I did the performance last evening, you know, I could see there were like, oh, God, I don't know, 80 people at least that were within the New School community who were mm -hmm. like... On the Zoom. Mm -hmm. And then it was also um, available on Facebook. So I don't know how many people watched on Facebook. But um, so there, there was a connection of actually having an audience mm -hmm. I, that I could see. I could mm -hmm. see people reacting which is um it's so gratifying to be able to have that experience still there mm -hmm. and, and part of things uh with the opera we were 
very concerned, obviously, with performing the score, relating to each other. We had we were working with a director who was telling us, you know, at this point you look this way, at this mm -hmm. point you look that way, and you do X number of repetitions of this module before whatever. Right. And turning our, our videos on and off and turning them, you know, back on uh, so that our screens would be in the right position. Mm -hmm. um, so all of this whole um, new format that we're now getting used to, um, it, it's all new territory. Mm -hmm. um, I, it, is, it is not like doing a television show. Right. It's right. not because you're not, you know, if, if you were doing TV work, you would rarely be talking right at the camera. It's a right. totally different thing and if you are relating to somebody else you have to imagine that they're like right beside you right. In, in some way so that's that's again a very different kind of thing now you you asked very specifically about the voice um but i but i think what you're explaining is is important because you're talking about the spatial configuration of how how your setup is set up and then how how you're relating to the technology, which then also renders spatially on a screen. I, I mean, all of that is a part of is a part of the performance. Yeah, but all in addition to that, you were saying. Yeah. Well, um, um, I I am not as disciplined as I would like to be. <laughs> um, I love performing. I don't so much love rehearsing. <laughs> I will... <laughs> But then you work so much with improvisational practices too, so it's a different. Yeah. Improvisation is very, very much part part of my practice, mm -hmm. and and so even when I'm recording uh, a piece, I, I may have a certain amount of material that is notated and worked out, but I'm allowing myself the freedom to explore that material mm -hmm. in the recording process, mm -hmm. and also when I work, um, uh, I work now in Pro Tools, so I do a lot of recording right into the system. Mm -hmm. I can then, you know, choose little uh, areas to work with. I can replicate them. I can stretch them. I can compress them. I can do all sorts of things with them. So there are there are layers of of the kind of work that mm -hmm. I do. Um, if if I were performing the kind of formal work that I used to perform, I would be practicing more every day and making sure that my vocal range mm -hmm. was what was required. Now that I'm not doing quite um, that amount of of uh, that kind of performing, I'm doing much more improvised performing and and mm -hmm. very specifically in contemporary music. Mm -hmm. um, I find that I I do um, exercises as needed, okay, to get the the instrument to uh, the point that that it is performing uh, as I need it to do. Mm -hmm. This is great, and and I'm so thrilled that you're willing to share an exercise with us. Can I ask you one more thing before we get to the exercise? I have seen in some interviews with you. Um, it's just a phrase that really stood out to me that in some, um, I think maybe Gelsey writes about this, that when maybe in a lesson with you, you were, you were giving her instruction and saying that, you know, what you have to see what comes out in such and such particular situation and then work with it. And I just love that phrase, work with it. And I feel like it's 
what so many of us are trying to do in our current circumstances is, is work with it, even though we might not have anticipated it or it might feel unfamiliar or we might feel like we are in unfamiliar territory or some kind of, we have to find some extended techniques to figure out how to live our lives right now. But anyway, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I was curious what you mean when you, when you say to a singer, you have to see what comes out and then work with it. Well, okay. So from, from the, um, the broadcast that you saw last night, um, I started out with a work of mine, uh, that's called solitary journeys of the mind. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, uh, as I said, a real time composition, which means it's an improvisation, but Mm -hmm. it's based on a number of, um, of vocal gestures like mm-hmm. the, the opening gesture is that is a it's a shape mm-hmm. uh, and where that particular shape is placed differs all the time it now since i already started in that pitch terrain i would then continue in that pitch terrain mm-hmm. but each time i start that piece the exact pitch terrain may be may differ mm-hmm. it on, on you know what comes out and that I'm really fascinated by the idea of what comes out um, as as a trained classical singer I mean I know a great deal about hearing the sound in my mind before I make it mm-hmm. and that you know it's all about a, a matter of brains and breath um, and and focusing and then uh, pouring the breath into the pitch that you already hear in your head mm-hmm knowing all of that information. Um, in, in my more experimental work, I'm more interested in, okay, what's the voice going to do today? How am I going to work with these particular, you know, whatever shape my instrument is in right now? Mm-hmm. Let, let's see what I can do with that. Um, which allows me, maybe, to sing in circumstances or, or with... Um, within a situation where my voice might not be in top shape but i can still work with it because mm-hmm. i don't i don't have to make those pristine sounds that are required in you know the western classical uh tradition i can work with the sound of the instrument as it is whatever mm-hmm. it may be so that's what i really mean in in working with it also the idea of making a vocal sound and then following it let mm-hmm. letting your voice direct where you're going to go with this particular sound. Mm-hmm. Is that making sense? To it you? makes total sense, and I and I think um, this idea of following the sound—that's really cool. I don't hear a lot of people talk about that. It's usually like you're saying, there's like an idealized thing that you're supposed to produce, um, but to really it requires a I think a different kind of attention to know if you're gonna if you're gonna not just see what it is but stick with it (laughs) and and go along where it wants to go absolutely and um some of the 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 early work that I did which you you probably know a lot of track um uh works um some people listen to them and think that they're loops. Well, they're not loops. They were never loops. Mm-hmm. I would always sing through an entire, now we're talking analog tape. Mm-hmm. I would always sing through an entire track because I wanted to know what would happen, let's say with this early work 12 song, uh, which was really uh, one of my first sound paintings. Mm-hmm. It is 12 minutes and 12 seconds long mm-hmm. and it's 12 tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I decided what material was going to go on each one of the tracks. I would begin that recording. It was done at Radio Bremen in Germany, which mm-hmm. had a wonderful, wonderful uh, crew of, of uh, recording engineers that I worked with. And of course, they had never heard anything like this before. This is 1977. Yeah. Um, and if you work in Germany, usually one of the team is a tonemeister. The tonemeister wants to see your score. Mm-hmm. And I said, you can look at my notes, you can have my my notebooks, my journals. It's not going to make any sense to you. You just have to trust me. <laughs> you just have to trust me, yeah. Trust me, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I would record in real time these things because I wanted to know once I start this particular sound, and I know I'm going to go for 12 minutes and 12 seconds, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. to the the vocal sound over the duration. So a lot of, of this early material, I was really dealing with um, with the body, um, the, the, uh, the physical situation of what certain techniques required. Mm-hmm. Certain techniques require a very, very relaxed throat. For instance, ululation. Uh, multiphonics, these things. Mm -hmm. If you try to project or hold or do anything, it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. And so uh, actually one of the most difficult things in live performance is the issue of nerves. Uh, We all have, we can never get away from it. And, And how to work through the nerves so that you can trust that that the technique is going to come through um, and then what you need to do with your body. Like, you know, when we get nervous, our shoulders tend to go Absolutely. up. Uh, yeah. and so that's the kind of thing that totally makes the multiphonic go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the whole idea of while I'm making that multiphonic, in, if, if your listeners don't know what it, it's basically double stops for the voice. It's, it's a mm-hmm. way of producing two pitches at the same time. Yes. So while I'm I'm producing this and I'm trying to remain relaxed, I'm thinking to myself, drop your shoulders, drop your shoulders, just uh, let them come out. So all of these things are happening in, in real time. Um, so that's another way of sort of working with the sound, um, trying to keep the consistency of, of that tone uh, while you're also you know, working with the idiosyncrasies of what your body is, is doing. Yeah. Working. I get it. I, I don't want to try and talk it back cause it's not going to be as clear, <laughs> but I hear what you're saying and it makes me want to go practice. So cool. Um, can I ask for you to share an exercise with us now? Um, yeah, I was thinking about, um, a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to do a workshop in uh, the south of France, in La Sainte-Baume. Mm-hmm. And um, Kathy Berberian had mm-hmm. done this workshop for a number of summers, and um, she didn't want to do it anymore, and she recommended me, which was very generous. Um, also there at the same time were David Gordon and Valda Setterfield. Mm-hmm. Um, who, Valda worked for many, many years with Merce Cunningham, and then uh, she has been in recent years uh, working with her husband, David Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, David has something called the Pickup Company, which is his own dance company. He was originally part of that the dance collective called the Grand Union. 
with mm-hmm. Trisha Brown and, and Yvonne Rayner and yeah. a bunch of those wonderful, wonderful people. Um, anyway, so uh, David mostly was, was running his movement class mm-hmm. and I was running my vocal class. And um, so one day we decided to put our workshops together and um, see what we could do uh, using vocal sound and movement. And so we did sort of an exercise in in two different directions. Uh, One was to start with a movement, a repetitive movement, something that you can easily repeat and extend if that Mm -hmm. feels comfortable, and ultimately release sound into it so that you're not thinking about the sound. The sound is sort of released as part of the movement. Mm -hmm. And the other way of doing it was to start with a repeating vocal sound Uh and to repeat that vocal sound and then begin moving into that vocal sound and just finding out what happens when you add movement. Uh, Is it an extension of the vocal sound? Does it uh, interfere with your vocal sound, which is a good indicator that you're you're holding tension in your body. You're not allowing your body to participate uh, in the making of the vocal sound. So that kind of, and it's something that you can do in in your solitary situation right now. Uh, You can record it. Uh, for yourself and and see what happens mm-hmm. and you know go go in both directions yeah start whichever way you want to start whether you want to start with movement and and releasing or or just letting the voice do what it's going to do it could be just breath also yeah um i i worked for a number of years uh with a wonderful dance company the Nine chen dance company mm-hmm. and um uh, Naini very much wanted the singers or the <laughs> the dancers to sing, um, and yeah. what I discovered and and she she laughed when we started working on it. Dancers tend to hold their breath. Yes, and they'll they'll you know they know the movement they're going to do, and for the most part they do the movement and then they breathe. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's not possible to do no. that you're going to sing. So the <laughs> right. thing of, of getting them to like, just let a sound come out. And of course they were terrified. Yeah. It can be very scary for dancers because they the, their whole sense of their technique is built into that. Not, not breathing thing. Yeah. 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 And so to, to trust that they were still going to be able to, um, to do what they needed to do and breathe. I mean, that was the first thing we did was we tried wow. to like move and breathe yeah. uh, and, and then get into uh, the kinds of releasing these vocal sounds. So it was, that was a really sort of extraordinary experience. Thank you so much. This is, this is great. I feel inspired. I feel like I have some things to tinker with here in my Wonderful. lonely apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you can, get out and go for a walk from time to time. I do. I'm fortunate to have the beautiful Lake Michigan right, uh, right across the street. So oh, I'm truly fortunate. Yeah. You're yeah. blessed. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you so much. it. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Ooh.
That's it. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll return for my next episode when I plan to host Catherine Mizell, ethnomusicologist and author of the new book, Multivocality, Singing on the Borders of Identity, and Derek Fox, director of choirs and assistant professor of music at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Until then. <laughs>